0: Pull up a chair, make yourself comfy, and let's talk guitars. Hi, this is Cams, and welcome to another episode of Acoustic Guitar I.O. I sat down with Luthier Malcolm Griffiths of Sheaf Guitars in Sheffield during the annual UK gathering of the RMMG News Group in the Cotswolds, We had a good chat for about half an hour talking about guitar building and I'd like to share that episode with you now. So without any further ado, sit back, make yourself comfy and here's Malcolm Griffiths. Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Acoustic Guitar I.O. And today I'm sitting here with Luthier Scuba Diver who knows what else he does? We'll find that out. Malcolm Griffiths. Welcome to the podcast, Malcolm. How are you?
1: I'm good, Tar. It's good to be here.
0: It's great to see you again. We've we've met a few times at the RMMGA gatherings. Yeah, that's right. Back in Buxton was probably the first time we met. Yeah. And here we are now in Spring Hill, down in the Cotswolds. A fantastic location.
1: A yeah, beautiful venue, inspiring to, to make you want to play and sit and listen or whatever, yeah. so it's good.
0: Well it's been great so far. This is day two of the, the RMMGA gathering. And uh, we had a really great concert last night from Will McNichol. We're looking forward to some more fantastic music today. So Malcolm, you build guitars. Tell me a little bit about how you got started in that.
1: Yeah, it's um interesting. I've always made things I've always made things with my hands, be it bits of furniture or fixed things. And all of my hobbies have always in compassed um something that has a creative element and a technical element so i did a lot of photography um for example where including underwater photography where i'd take multiple p- images and project them through two projectors with a fade system and then you would put it to music and a dialogue and things like that so that was like back 30 40 years ago when everything was emulsion and uh, yeah. <laughs> slides and old-fashioned, whereas I'd still do the same thing today when I go scuba diving. I take video now and uh, and some stills, and I'm able to edit those down onto a programme. And usually I put some of my own music I've written as the uh-huh. backing music, so it's that sort of full circle with that. But to get back to your question, as I said, I've always made things, and about... Ooh, 20 plus years ago, maybe 25 years ago. I thought, wouldn't it be nice to make a guitar? So there was a course running in the Peak District in Derbyshire that lasted for five days, where you made a guitar. So I enrolled on that, and at the end of that week I went, oh dear, I'm hooked, this is great. (laughs) (laughs) What was your first guitar that you built? It was um, a large, dreadnaughty type guitar which had a few faults as you'd expect from a first instrument I played it for a few years quite successfully but uh, it's now retired so so that was a, a great experience I did that and then when I'd done that course I went home and set up a miniature workshop in the garden shed which was full of other stuff as well as woodworking stuff as they usually are
0: lawnmowers and shears and
1: yeah yeah And then I, um, I made two mandolins, which are both still in existence. One of them has started to, uh, unfortunately, collapse through old age and because I didn't really have a full understanding of what I was doing
0: with the timbers at the
1: time. But while it was playing, it sounded really good. Yeah, Uh, In fact, I'm making a replacement for the chap who's got it at the moment. Right. So, um... But, you know, that sort of lasted 15 years, so it's not done too bad.
0: Yeah. And what kind of woods do you like to build with?
1: I use a variety of different timbers. I seem to have got quite into cherry and walnut recently, so maybe you might say fruit and and the nuts and all the rest of that. But um, I still use Indian rosewood and uh, some of the other rosewoods when you're able to, to source them hmm I like timbers that have a, a bit of a figure on them if I can find them.
0: Yeah.
1: Cause I don't really like a back stripe down the back of the guitar. I prefer it to be able to match two yeah. pieces of grain so you've got a nice nice little V shape going on up the, the back of the instrument.
0: And how many instruments would you see you build a year?
1: Oh. On a good year I probably make about two or three. So it's it's a slow process because I don't do it full time. And you've brought
0: some instruments here with you. For yes, car. indeed. One of them is delightful. I've had a shot of the one with the dragonfly mm. sound hole and the, the beautiful inlay on the neck.
1: Yeah. That's stunning. That's my own design, that one. uh uh-huh. um, the, the dragonfly theme came about, and I sort of did some design work. And originally, I was going to put a whole line of dragonflies flying up the neck, but after I'd cut the first one, I thought, <laughs> I think one is enough. Yeah. And because there's no sound hole in the front of the instruments in the conventional sense, yeah. uh, the bracing's different. Oh, it's okay. like a, an A brace with tone bars and a bridge plate. So um, it does mean that you've actually got a bit bigger expanse of spruce to vibrate. Because mm-hmm. basically it's stiff to just below where the dragonfly sound holes in the two upper bouts are. Yeah. And then below, because there's double thickness t- material there to to make sure okay. that it doesn't... Collapse because it's got some quite small bits of timber between the holes of the dragonfly.
0: And I, I didn't notice. Is that a twelve fret or a fourteen fret?
1: That's a fourteen oh, fret. A fourteen fret. Uh-huh. That one, yes. Yeah, I completed another one for a customer uh, for last July. It's for his seventieth birthday, right? And that okay. turned out really well. I was quite sorry to to let it go. <laughs>
0: So what sort of styles of of music do you enjoy playing?
1: I have quite an eclectic taste. Everything from sort of what you might call folk music in its broadest sense. Um, I do go to folk clubs, but I very rarely sing anything that might be strictly called a folk song. Well, it depends who you talk to,
0: doesn't it? So there's some purists out there that... Yeah. You know, if you don't play something that's classed as folk and inverted commas, then they can get a little bit...
1: Yes, yeah, so I managed to perform a Mark Knopfler number um, with my playing colleague, Sean, um, some time ago at a very traditional folk club. And people were asking, where did, was that song collected? And they didn't <laughs> recognise the name Mark Knopfler at all. You're kidding. No. <laughs> and you just go, hmm... <laughs> Because <laughs> I think I'm right in saying that he has been on the bill at the Cambridge Folk Festival right. in recent years.
0: Okay, maybe he is folk
1: then. Well, that's, that was his original background, apparently. Yeah, yeah. And you can hear it in his playing, actually. I found out recently,
0: actually, that he was born in Glasgow. Yeah, I had no idea. I thought he was a a Geordie lad through and yeah. through. But I can claim some ownership now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So this gathering is, is an amazing gathering of Luthier's musicians fans what do you enjoy most about coming to this gathering
1: i enjoy listening to the music i really enjoy the plucky dips when yeah. You know, and
0: the plucky dips are where we, we pick names from a hat during dinner on the friday and we form impromptu duos and trios and it can be quite nerve-wracking i just got placed with gordon giltrap you lucky so, man. Yes. I'm a little bit nervous, I have to say, but excited. Excited. Yeah.
1: yeah, so so that's always enjoyable. And I think the other thing I particularly enjoy is the opportunity to chew the fat, so to speak, with other makers because there's always aspects of instrument making you know, it's a bit like how many people does it need to change a light bulb. You know, you can do different jobs in different yeah. ways and we all have our own little quirks about how we do particular jobs and sometimes somebody's way of doing it is an improvement on what you're doing yeah. so you know it's always nice to talk about that or about finishing getting the lacquer on how the, what finish they're using how they're putting it on and, and things like that because yeah. obviously instrument making for most of people who do it is a fairly solitary existence so yeah to get together with fellow makers is a a delight
0: yeah one of the things I've always found about luthiery is that everybody's willing to share. There's no proprietary. This is mine. I'm not telling you. It's very open and honest and sharing, and and I love that about guitar making.
1: Yeah, I think that's been my experience with the vast majority of other luthiers I've spoken to. They can't be helpful enough. You yeah. know, they just want to to assist. If you've got a question, I'll try and help you. Yeah. And you know, it could be a case of, oh does anybody know where we can get one of these a particular item? Yeah. Uh, and somebody has send an email back saying, <laughs> you know, you can get these from so-and-so. Yeah. And it's sort of weird things like um, drill bits, like a Brad pointed drill bits. You can get them quite quite easily in this, the big stores. But if you want a small one, like a size two mil, can you find one? No. There's right. only about one supplier in the UK, and that's the right size for doing the side dots on the ah,
0: side of the fingerboard. Okay.
1: So, you know, and being Brad-pointed, it doesn't skip or move from the point where you've marked where you yeah. want to drill. So, you know, just having that makes life easier yeah. and less likely that you'll make a mistake and have to fill a hole and re-drill it. Yeah. So it's little things like that that, yeah, that's you know.
0: Amazing. And a friend of ours, a mutual friend from these gatherings, Alan Marshall, he's recently... Hung up his tools, hasn't he? And started distributing some of his, his yes. machinery and his wood store. Yes,
1: he's been. Um, I went to, he sent a call out for assistance from people he knew that weren't too far from him to come and help empty the workshop, which is about oh, a couple of months ago.
0: I believe there were a lot of stairs involved. Yes,
1: there is a lot of <laughs> stairs. And there was a couple of points in one of the stair journeys where he had his wood store upstairs where you had to watch your head very carefully. Mm-hmm. A couple of big beams in the way. But we emptied a lot of machinery a lot of timber. Um, quite a lot of it, I think, went to Tony Tony Thompson. Tony, yeah. 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 Tony's not here this time, unfortunately. Yeah. But and it was Nathan who came up to get it. Nathan Ball. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, Alan very kindly gave me a few bits and pieces a few fingerboard blanks and things like yeah. that you know small yeah. pieces which are ideal just just useful
0: yeah fantastic and the you told me that he had a guitar half built which you've acquired
1: yes he gave me a half built instrument
0: are you going to complete it
1: yeah i'm not sure what logo i put it on <laughs> i have a i don't know for sure but i have a suspicion because he's often had people come and work with him in the workshop for a bit to learn how Mm -hmm. to make an instrument. I suspect it's one of those that never got finished, because I think if it was one that he'd been building himself, he would have completed it and finished it. So I've got the body made, the body's made, the sides are bent with the blocks in and the linings, and I've got the back with the uh, braces on, so that needs gluing together now. And so, and then, then I'll make a front wheel, yeah. the braces on, etc. So uh, it'll be a hybrid. So a we'll hybrid. just see. It'll. I'll probably not put a logo on it.
0: <laughs> a Northworthy Griffiths. Yeah, Lord.
1: Northworthy Sheaf or a whatever yeah. you want to call it. Yeah.
0: Sheaf guitars. That's, that's your right. Brand, yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. And do you travel to any of the the guitar shows? I know Berlin's just happened. Do you ever get to go in?
1: I've been to a few shows over the years. Usually, some in Leeds, some in uh, Haydock, Haydock Park, okay. and a few other ones yeah. like that. Just sm- small shows, but yeah. I'm not sure they're the ideal places to show off handmade instruments, as they always tend to be a bit noisy and yeah. a bit overpowering. And everybody's it's really more of a networking, yeah, sort of PR is.
0: thing, isn't it? Yeah.
1: Uh, I think over the years, I think I've just about broken even from doing them through selling a couple of smaller instruments like mandolins uh-huh. things like that. Okay.
0: Have you ever managed to get to the acoustic soundboard gathering in Halifax?
1: No, I haven't, and I, it's something I'd like to try and yeah. develop, because Halifax isn't too far from, from me.
0: Yeah, Sheffield you come from. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, he's it's, it's not, not sort of eons away, is it?
0: No. I've never been myself, but I'm hoping to go in September this year. And I know some of the guys, just from having been on the Acoustic Soundboard Forum, and Ian, who's here this yeah. weekend, he's been to Halifax a couple of times and recommends it. So
1: Oh, does Adrian Lucas get involved? Is he involved with Yeah, that?
0: Adrian's been as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, of- know Adrian quite well.
0: Yeah, well, we're looking forward to the company of Adrian later on today. Yes, exactly.
1: Mm -hmm. That's it. I I just enjoy enjoy the process of making, whether it's for a commission or whether it's just as an experimental instrument or something to extend my collection, because I haven't got one of those to play. Right.
0: And did you play first or did you build first?
1: I played first. I've played since I was about 14. I've a miss, misspent youth at university learning to play, as I think I spent more time playing guitar at university than I did working. Yeah, yeah,
0: I think I did too. Yeah. So, uh, so what have you got on the, the drawing board for what's next on your plans?
1: At the moment, I'm completing a mandolin for, for um, a customer, and his name's John West. And he's always had, um, how shall I put it, um, the Michael taken out of him about his name, about fish. Because John West, salmon, tuna, whatever, when he was young. So he asked me to put a leaping salmon on the fingerboard. So we now have a leaping salmon on the mandolin fingerboard.
0: (laughs) Fantastic.
1: So that's nearly finished. That's ready for lacquer. Mm -hmm. So now the weather appears to have warmed up a bit, I should be setting up the spray equipment so I can... uh, And you still work from your shed in the garden? Yes, indeed. Yeah. So... We have many sheds in our garden. (laughs) Uh, Three sheds and a greenhouse. So one is a studio that my wife uses for her textile work. One's a garden shed for the usual garden shed items. And one's my workshop.
0: Okay, so it's a workshop, man
1: cave escape. Yes, it is. I use it sometimes to go and just sit and play or sit and read or listen to the radio if I need a bit of downtime. And do you do you dry your wood in the shed? Do yeah, have- the um, the timber is all kept in the workshop, and the workshop is kept at a fairly even humidity. Mm-hmm. There's a dehumidifier in there, and uh, I keep the humidity pretty constant in there because it's not so much temperature as humidity yes. that's, that's the issue. Yeah. Uh, and it's good if the timber can sit in your workshop for at least six months to a year before you actually use it. Yeah. Then It's unlikely to move a lot when you start to machine it and bend it and mm. work with it because the humidity it'll be used to the humidity in there so it won't be put under great stress, yeah, yeah, during the building process. Um, usually try to keep the workshop between 45 and 55 relative humidity, which is quite dry, yeah.
0: yeah. We actually had relative humidity down to about 45 in my house on the Isle of Arran. Yeah. It's it's very unusual to have it as low as that in the house.
1: Yes, it is, because it's usually up in the 60s. It's usually the sort of average in a house. I can
0: actually tell when I pick my guitar off the wall and play it. I can usually roughly tell from the tone before I look at my hygrometer, sort of what the humidity is going to be.
1: Yeah, that's why they have a lot of problems in places like the States with the humidity on guitars. It's because they'll have them out all winter and they'll be playing them. And uh, then in the spring, it starts to warm up and they turn on the air conditioning. So suddenly the humidity plummets. Yeah, and that's when cracks can appear. Yeah, that's when you get issues.
0: Yeah. And conversely, when you have humidity that's really high, you can start to get a bit of bellying around the bridge. And
1: but it's not usually quite such an issue about doing that a bit as uh, yeah, the other way. You
0: can, you can dry it out again and it'll yeah. usually go back down, hopefully. Yeah.
1: And do you do any repair work? Yeah, I do quite a lot of repair work. Um, as you might expect, the repair work is financially more rewarding than making yes. an instrument for somebody. The reality price of a handmade instrument should be about four grand. Because mm-hmm. if you spend two hundred hours making it, yeah. and you've got the yeah, cost of materials, you're not earning a lot of money. No, so I don't. Most of mine don't sell. I don't sell, usually about two and a half grand. It's that sort of yeah. an upper bit, depending if they've had a nice pickup in it or something. Mm-hmm. So you know, I make a few quid on it, but it's not like a, a huge amount of money. Whereas you can do repairs for people, and they're quite happy to pay what you would consider a decent hourly rate yeah. for a repair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas they wouldn't pay that rate for a full build. Mm. So, yeah, I've got a um, 1970s Yamaha on the workbench at the moment, which has had a hard life. I've had to repair a hole in the side where there was a jack socket, fill in excess holes on the headstock where the tuners have been changed, but the whole holes were still visible from the previous tuners. <laughs> uh needs a new nut. Um and it's got a s- slight lift on the bridge which has been glued back down and the f- bridge plate inside has got a crack in it. So that's been the piece has been removed it's about to be re-glued back in. Right. With a couple of veneers over the top to give it a bit of in- extra integrity. And then it should be going back to the owner once the pickups fitted for it.
0: Yeah. And I, I suppose you'll you'll learn a few things from looking at different instruments on the oh, yeah bench.
1: It's quite interesting, um to to look inside an instrument, you know, get the mirrors out and mm-hmm. put it in through the sound, I'll open it up, put a light in and have a look. Good look and see what different makers do. It's quite surprising sometimes. Yeah. You think, Oh, that's interesting, you know, like yeah. uh, I know for example some makers don't um notch the bridge plate into the x-brace so they actually deliberately put them up against them so they're nearly touching they're touching yeah. but they put a bevel on the edge of the bridge plate and that gives the hot top a bit more flexibility because it's not actually oh, I see. so but they will have compensated for doing that by making sure something else is strong enough so the thing doesn't collapse yeah. you know it's a it's a little little game of taking a bit off here and adding a bit there or whatever. To, yeah. And sometimes you think, well, doing that makes life easy. You haven't got to cut the notches out and the X-Brace and get it all oh, to okay. fix. So it's easier to do. So you think, oh, well, where did that come from? Did it come as a reason for making the top respond better or did it come from the fact that actually this is easier and quicker to do? Yeah. <laughs> you do wonder that. Have you seen the... New bracing that Taylor's developed.
0: The V-bracing. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard a lot of discussion about it. A few sceptics out there and a few evangelists, shall we say.
1: It it does sound interesting. You know, I've played a couple of them. uh, But my immediate response, having seen it in the flesh, um, was... Oh, how nicely designed that is to be all CNC cut and mass Mm -hmm. produced. (laughs) If you see what I mean, it was, you looked at it, the design might work brilliantly, that's great. But you actually look at it and go, there's a lot less pieces of timber on there than a conventional Uh X-Brace. And the way they are means that, yes, you can just cut them and glue them on and sort them and you think, yes.
0: I suppose time will tell. It's such a new technique. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I've listened to Andy Powers being interviewed, so I've I've heard the ins and outs, the pros. According to Andy Powers, there aren't any cons, but we'll see. We'll see. I think the jury's still out on that.
1: I think that's interesting, because um, I think, to me, the most interesting point about it is the bracing's more or less longitudinal, although it's got a, a V-shaped, and that's why it's got its name. But the longitudinal bracing changes... The way the top responds, mm-hmm. and if you look at old arch top guitars, jazz guitars, that sort of thing, they invariably have a longitudinal brace. The early ones, ah, okay. So it's you know two braces either side of the middle, you know, just the it, yeah. Just the arch top would yeah more straight. The arch shaped obviously, but then there's two braces down there. They often call them the tone bars. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you think, oh, that's perhaps why they can say they can hear a bit of that sort of sound in the instrument. Oh, okay. yeah. um, and it did make me think that, you know, it might be worth investigating something like that. I'm, uh, I usually, when I make a mandolin, it's usually like an H-shaped bracing, mm-hmm. ladder bracing. Yeah, And I'm just thinking, well, maybe with a mandolin, because a lot of people like mandolins with a woody sound, like an, a carved top yeah. mandolin produces a different tone to a flat top mandolin. Yeah whether you could get towards that um, calf-top mandolin by using a more longitudinal braced system, because that's what would be in the, the calf-top instrument. You would have that type of bracing rather than X-bracing or yes. cross-bracing. Yes. So you just think, yeah, you know, perhaps we can move it a bit in that direction yes. by doing that.
0: Well, just when you think there's nothing new under the sun, along comes another innovation in yeah. Luthiery.
1: Yeah, so it's, I think, you know, Taylor have been a real inspiration because they have innovated consistently. Yeah. And I think that helps keep not just the rest of the mass-produced instrument market on its toes, but I think it it makes Luthiers think about, you know, how do we do things? Because they're...
0: Yeah. One of the great things I've learned about Taylor Guitars is their sustainability projects, which they're mm-hmm. running. Yeah. And... They're, they're really looking forward long term into the ecology of the globe because wood is as we know it's a finite source it's, yes. it's going to run out at some point if we just if we don't take care of it now so i think yeah. that's
1: sourcing timbers become quite a lot more difficult i, I do try where i can to use um, salvaged materials um, i've got some really nice victorian mahogany that came off a, a table Mm, top. Okay. Um, the table was scrap so, so I wouldn't want to cut up a piece of antique furniture yeah. but it had been left outside so that didn't do it any ah, good. Okay. Yeah. And uh, it had new legs put on it at some time in its life which were not in the style of the original by any shape yeah. or form which the legs will actually make some really nice neck blanks. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: well I was listening to a podcast
0: about the sustainability of, of mm. wood and forestry and one of the things that blew my mind was how little of an impact guitar makers and instrument makers in general actually have. It seems that most of the wood tends to go to China and it goes in boats and furniture. And
1: It's the furniture making industry yeah. that's the biggest user and unfortunately the, the restrictions that are being put on everybody about timber has had an effect disproportionately on instrument makers whereas we don't use a lot of timber in terms of volume. And, you know, I saw something in the paper the other day, and it was something to do with timber exports to China. Mm -hmm. And the country said it had sent this many metric tons, but the Chinese, in their documentation, said they'd received about five times as much. Mm -hmm. And you think, you know, I wonder where that's come from. Because they probably have received it. It's probably come through a back door somewhere and they've sort of linked it to the other bit, which was covered by all the paperwork. Yeah. Mm. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, stuff going on that perhaps shouldn't be.
0: Yeah. Well, it's now that I think people are becoming more aware of it, so it's it's good in a sense. But, of course, the, the guitar maker who's got a stock of Brazilian rosewood with no paperwork, they're not going to be able to sell it are they? or export it? Or?
1: They're not going to be able to export it. Yeah. I, I have... Uh, uh, a set of Brazilian and a an old table that I was given by somebody um, that was made probably about 60 years ago or more by somebody's dad who was worked in a woodyard. And he obviously had collected this and made a rustic little t- coffee table out of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this, I just, so this lady said, this old lady said, oh, do you want this? It's been wrapped up in the loft for... Yes, I didn't know what timber it was, so I thought, I'll take it home and see what it is. Got it home and thought, this looks like Brazilian rosewood. It sounds like Brazilian rose because it's very metallic when you tap it together. When you cut it, it has that rosewood smell. Mm -hmm. So it's either, it is a rosewood, but I wouldn't, without having any DNA testing or whatever, be sure that it's Brazilian. But of course, there's no certification for that. No. But you can use it in a guitar, and you can sell it within the UK and it can be traded within the UK. As long as it doesn't cross borders, that's not a problem. Because it's no point in saying they can't use this stuff anymore because it's totally usable timber. Yeah. So uh, you think, well, right, then we'll use it. And then if somebody, as long as you explain to somebody if they want that timber on an instrument, that you won't be able to take it out yeah. of the UK. It's going to have to stay otherwise. it'll yeah. Because... I know there are issues with rosewood being moved between countries, and different border agencies or customs agencies, or or whoever it is in a country, apply what are the same regulations in very different ways. Yeah, I think you're allowed. The regulation says you're allowed like so many grams of like Brazilian rosewood in an instrument. So there might be the head plate or the bridge or something like that. Not a huge amount of wood. But if it's got that on it, but it's less than this amount, yeah. it should be okay. But no, what happens? It gets confiscated. Yeah. And you do ask the question, how do the people impounding it know that it's Brazilian rosewood? Because rosewoods quite obviously can be seen to be a rosewood, but which one it is Well, I think can be they're be quite just having difficult. a
0: blanket. Coverage for all rosewoods, yeah, so. just because they can't discern one from the yeah, other. So, but and the same applies to abalone, doesn't it, or any kind of shell product? If they
1: started, I'm not yeah. had any problems. It's part with of it.
0: the site's convention on yeah. endangered species. Yeah. So if you're moving any kind of animal-based product at all, plant or, yeah. or animal, then you have to have paperwork and proof of provenance.
1: Yeah. And how do you prove it? Because it's, oh, no. it's quite difficult to prove where something's come from. Absolutely. You know, I've bought shell from Australia. You know, pre-cut dots yeah. and yeah. triangles and things. And um, I must confess, when I'm cutting out designs, I do tend to try and use uh, what they call ablam, which is laminated pieces of abalone mm-hmm. that are laminated together with epoxy. Oh, okay. To form a sheet, yeah, yeah, which is not necessarily always quite as attractive as the pure shell. Maybe easier to cut. It's, it's a bit easier to cut, and it's of course it's a lot less expensive yeah. because they're effectively using the offcuts from industries that are using making other things with the shell. Yeah. So it's it's like using a waste product almost, to, mm-hmm. which I think I feel that's more somewhat more ethical than yeah using the shell yeah
0: so it's fascinating well welcome thank you very much for sitting down with me this morning if any of our listeners want to look you up do you have a a website or a facebook presence that they can yeah i have a
1: facebook page so if you look for sheaf that's s-h-e-a-f guitars you should find what i'm doing as i post most of the builds and the repairs on the facebook page Great. And then if you want to get hold of me, you can message me for that.
0: And if you're a player or a musician, you can always come to the RMMG gatherings, generally around March. This one's a little later in May. But they're annual, so you can come and find Malcolm there and have a chat with him. Maybe even commission a build. Who knows? Thank you, Malcolm. It's been a great pleasure to talk to you. And I'll, I'll see you all later. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Many thanks to Malcolm once again for sitting down with me and having a chat. I hope you enjoyed that interview. If you did, please let me know. Or if you have any other suggestions for the show, perhaps a potential player or luthier who you think would be a good person to have on the show, I would love to hear from you. It's a fledgling podcast, so I'm looking for all the love I can get. You can catch me on CAMS, at C-A-M-S, at AcousticGuitar.io So you can email me there or you can find me on the Steam blockchain where I'll be publishing a lot of this content. You'll find me there on SteamIt.com That's S-T-E-E-M-I-T SteamIt.com slash at AcousticGuitar I look forward to hearing from you and I hope you'll join me for the next episode. Thanks for listening.